That was awesome. Yes. Thought when he came walking out, I thought he was going to come up here. <laughs> Down the road, right? There you go. Yeah, they did wonderful there. Hey, we're going to be in First uh, Corinthians five. We're going to talk about the praying Christian. You know, I read a, a thing that said this week: a good teacher doesn't tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And I thought about that in my high school days as I uh, was playing football that I, we had a coach all the time that he always would say, I expect more out of you. You know, if you do this, if you do this, if you have these disciplines in your life. And of course, you know, when you're young, you don't always want to listen to those things. But I would say that John is a good teacher. He's not telling us through this epistle what we want to hear, but he's telling us really what we need to hear. And today he's going to talk to us about really being a praying Christian. So my first question to you is, is uh, do you have a prayer life? And uh, a prayer life isn't just before meals. It isn't just um, when something uh, tragic comes into your life. But a prayer life is that regular communication with God, spending time alone with God in prayer. You know, a lot of times we have corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is, is great. I encourage people for that. But sometimes just you know, to pray always, you know, sometimes when we're going down the road, turn the radio off, you know, have your mind stayed on God. Uh, I enjoy it when I'm out in uh, the woods. I mean, I can just focus on things and I sort of ask God questions in my, in my mind and, and sort of look for his answers. And so he's talking about that today and he's talking about the confidence that we can have in going to God with prayer. And do we really realize this? So, um, we're going to go 14 on today, maybe 14 on through 17. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked for of him. If, some, if anyone sees his brother sinning, in which a sin that does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. So John is sort of giving us this um, a theme of having confidence in God. We go to God in prayer. I was sort of excited this week as I, as I watched the prayer requests come over um, the text. And to hear, you know, like at first Vicky was not doing well, and so we were praying about that. But then to get those updates that, you know, that's a little bit better today. Well, they, they were able to remove this from her, and um, she's just doing well. And, and those are encouraging things. And do we pray believing? And I'm not talking like the modern-day name-it-claim-it type of stuff. That's not what this is talking about, but this is talking about God's will. When we left last week, we had a prayer for Vicky, and we prayed our will. You know, we want to see her healthy and back at home, but, you know, we end it, but not our will, but thy will be done. And that's sort of what John is talking about this week. And so in the previous verse of last week, verse 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He's giving us that a confidence, that assurance there in our relationship with God. And so John relates this, uh, this confidence to him also in prayer. And so I want to ask you in your prayer life, first, you need to have a prayer life. If you, if you really lack in prayer, 
um, or you don't think you pray enough. I mean, it's just spending time with God. It doesn't have to be a, a formal thing where you get down on your knees or fall prostrate on the ground. And I often say, I pray while I'm driving. It doesn't mean I'm closing my eyes. You know, I'm, I'm still looking around as I'm driving down the road. But it's, it's just communication with God. But do you have that confidence that when you go to him, that he hears you? And so he tells us that. If we ask anything according to his will, it says he hears us. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing to know. So how do we get into God's will? How do we find out really what we should be praying about? But we see the, the purpose of the prayer. So a lot of times we can get into a thing where, well, God's just in control. He's going to do what he wants. But there is a, a power in prayer, and we need to understand that. There's a power in individual prayer. There's a power, I believe, when a church prays together, when families pray together. I think that there's a power that God has and he listens to us and we can have that confidence that when we go to him that we can ask anything, anything according to his will and he hears us. And I think that's an important thing to, to know, to have that assurance, knowing that God is going to hear me. Because if you ever talk to somebody, sometimes married couples do this and we've gone to marriage retreats. They're good for this because sometimes we talk with one another but we don't really listen to one another. Okay, we're just, I'm saying something and she's saying something and we're not really, but we know that God hears us. He can hear our heart. He can, he can know what's really important to us. And I think that that's just great to know that that, that door is open. It's great to have friends when you can go in and, and you know when you talk to them, they're going to give you their undivided attention. And I really believe God and, and his uh, omniscient power does that. He can listen to each one of us. He gives us his full attention during this. And so our God is a loving God. We know he's a gracious God. We know that he's a God that, that uh, really wants to bless his people. And again, I'm not talking prosperity, gospel, Cadillacs and big cars. I'm just talking about in our life. Blessings are so much more in our life. And I don't want to imply that anything that we ask for, we receive. But we should pray about everything. Okay? So... If I go pray for, you know, a, a new truck or something like that, that's sort of foolish. That has nothing really to do with things. But if I pray for wisdom and knowledge, if I pray for healing, if I pray for more grace in my life, uh, even this morning as we are coming up here, you know, I, I can get, uh, things get me upset sometimes and I need to pray, you know, Lord, just, just give me clarity on what I need to think about and what I need to meditate on, that I'm not taken away by the things of this world. Help me to be the husband I need to be, the father, the grandfather that I need to be, the friend that I need to be to those around me. And so I have an assurance that uh, God hears those things, but there's nothing too small and there's nothing too big for God. And actually, uh, my wife taught me this lesson years and years ago before we were ever in the ministry. We always had sort of junky cars and our family was growing and, and um, we needed a car and so... Me being the man of the house, I was going to go out and I was going to search all the car lots and, and all, you know, check everything out. And I had friends that were in mechanics and I was going to find this great deal. So while I'm out doing this, my wife goes to prayer. She prays about it. And all of a sudden, here comes a minivan that's available. And I know, we had that minivan for many, many years. It was like God just sort of like laid it there in front of us that it was where we could afford it. It was just a blessing. So... That, that story always reminds me that sometimes we like to do things in our own way. We like to do things on our own agenda. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be diligent in the things that we do. But do we pray first? You know, is a car 
need something that we should pray about? You know, is, is the needs in our life, you know, is there anything too small that God doesn't care about? And I would say no. I would say that God cares about everything in our life. So really, John is telling us we should pray about everything. We need to pray about the little things, the big things, the insignificant things that maybe seem insignificant. Bring God into those things. And we find out that the more we bring God into our life, the more we're going to see his will. Amen. And the more we see his will, the more our will becomes like his. And when we're praying, then we are praying in, in his will. So Philippians says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, give thanks, uh, giving for your requests made known to God. Even in Luke, I was just, it just came to mind today when we were looking at that, but Luke says, you know, bless those who, who persecute you. You know, pray for those that spitefully use you. Prayer is an important thing. Jesus used to go away from the uh, apostles sometimes just to get alone and to pray to God to really discern what it is that he was going through and what he needed to do and where he was to go next. And so many of us need to have that in our life also. Because it's easy for us to only be sort of wrapped up in our will. That's our society today. That's sort of what the world teaches us is that, you know, our will is the most important. And unfortunately, that has crept its way into the church too, that we're, we sort of like our agenda. We like our way. We like our will. We want the things done our way. And we're not really so focused on God's way. So I sort of pictured as this. Sometimes we're going by, you know, with our wagon and we sort of invite God, God, why don't you hop on the wagon with me? This is the route I'm going. Instead of looking where God is taking the wagon and saying, God, can I hop on with you? Because when we're in his will, that's the perfect place to be. That's really where we not to be, need to be. So um, he wants us to see and discern his will in our life. And so are we doing that? Are you really seeking out his will? And we find that through his word. So we find that through prayer. We find that through his word. And then we pray his will. Okay, We pray his will sometimes into action. And again, I'm not saying, you know, the name it, claim it stuff, that's not it. But God desires to work with us. Because he says in John 15, 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Right. And again, that's according to his will, okay? His power, his providence. So when we abide in Jesus, which really means living in him day by day, you know, abiding in Jesus isn't just Sunday morning for an hour or two. Abiding in Jesus is, is a week-long uh, process. I mean, it's 24-7 thing. We want to be abiding in him, walking in him, listening to him, uh, discerning what he has to say for us. And it's not like, you know, we may picture those monks that are off in a far distant mountain place. It's not that. We bring it into our everyday life. We bring it into our families. We bring it into our friends. We bring it into our church, into our communities, wherever we're at. We're always looking for opportunities to live out the life that Jesus has called us. And when we do that, we find ourselves becoming more aligned with his will in our life. So the, the more that we follow him, the more aligned we are with him, and the more we're going to be walking and praying and seeking according to his will. So are you doing that? You know, we might think, well, if it's God's will, why doesn't he just do it? Well, he could, right? I mean, God can do anything. But again, in Corinthians, it tells us, 2 Corinthians in the 6th chapter, it says, we, thou, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So we are workers with him. God has given us a, 
sort of a, a privilege and an honor to say, you know what? He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants to work through us. We are like the conduit of his word and, and his teachings and really the invitation, the magnet that's going to bring others to Christ. And so when we're out in the world, we really want our life to be reflective of Jesus. You know, we gave an example a few weeks ago about, you know, the moon has no light of its own. But when that moon is full and it's reflecting the light of the sun, I mean, um, if it was like tonight, you could see everything. I mean, you can walk, you can see trees and twigs and, and all sorts of things. And that should be our Christian life. We should be reflecting the light of the sun, Jesus Christ, not of our own light, but of his light, that people can see and be drawn onto him. And so we're workers together with him, and he wants us to work with him. And he wants us to, to, to do his will, right? So we got to do this in our life. He wants us to care about the things that he cares about. And in the world today, we get sucked in by a lot of different things. There's a lot of cares, a lot of concerns, a lot of garbage, a lot of confusion, a lot of this and that that goes on. And sometimes we need to stop back and say, what are the things that are really important? You know, uh, I talk about a lot of times when I, when I work with individuals that uh, life is sort of like the square box with four squares in it. And uh, some of you probably know that, but there's important things in life that we have control of. There's important things in life we don't have control over. Unimportant things we have control over. Unimportant things we don't have control over. And when it comes down to everything, really what we should be focusing on is the important things that we have control over. And in our life, when we look at a lot of things, a lot of it's not going to matter. But there are some eternal things. How we treat one another. The love for one another. That's why John talks about love the brethren. Love one another. They will know you by the love that you have. To extend grace and mercy towards one another. To live a life that is truthful and honest and upright. To reflect what God has. To care about those things that God cares about. Well, how do you find out what God cares about? If you look at Jesus' life, I always say that's the, the perfect example. You want to know how to treat people? Read the Gospels, because you see how Jesus treated people. So he's left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. So he's given us this example. We need to care about the things that he cares about. We need to be passionate about those things in prayer. Amen. So we love one another. What happens if you're shrinking in that love? Are you showing that love to one another? If we're not, we need to pray for that. Lord, I want your heart towards these people. You know, we have a government today that's sort of a mess. And, and you know, we may uh, not agree with them and may not like some of the people that are in positions in our government. But what does the Bible say to do? Pray for them, right? It's easy. And we live in a life that, that we wag the finger quite a bit. We can point blame here and there and everywhere, right, for everything that's gone wrong. But what God tells us to do first is pray. So pray should be a lot more than just casting wishes to heaven. And so think about that when you're praying. And it's not that God doesn't want to hear our hearts, but sometimes we, we treat God like a Santa Claus of sorts. You know, we just come to him with our list of, of wants. But the thing about a conversation is there's give and take. And so I, I may pray to God, but then I need to listen. What is it that God is saying to me? Because prayer is really rooted in the understanding of God's will. God's will is so important in our life. And, and to, to discover that and to be in it 
is really that place where you're going to find that peace that surpasses understanding. It's going to help you to really do those incredible things in life that you would say, you know, of my own will, I could have never have done those things. And, and he helps us to do those things, you know. He gives you a love for those that, that are unlovable. And that's one of the characteristics of a Christian, is, is to love the unlovable, to, to really deal with those people. Uh, because it's, it's easy, isn't it, to care for one another? I mean, we're all like-minded, right? We can sometimes get along, and we even have troubles with that sometimes. But for those that are difficult, you know, God gives us that inner strength, that inner power to, to forgive those that maybe don't even deserve forgiveness, to, to love those that, that are unlovable. So uh, the most powerful Bible and the prayers that I've ever read are the ones that were prayed in the will of God, you know, seeking God's will. So we may be annoyed sometimes when our little children, when they, you know, sometimes as parents, I always tell my kids, don't make promises you can't keep. You know, I mean, we want to, uh, be people of our word, right? So whenever I hear my kids tell my grandkids, you're grounded for a year, you know, I would say that's not a good thing, you know, because you're not going to keep that promise, right? So we want to be people of our word, right? God is a keeper of his promises. As we read through God's word, as we seek God's word, we see the promises that he has there. And those promises are for you and me. And so we know that he is going to perform those promises. It's just like the child that goes to his, his father or his mother and says, you know, you promised this. Why can't we? Well, you promise. God will fulfill his promise. Do you know what God's promises are? Well, sometimes we don't. Why don't we? Because we're not spending time in his word. You know, I mean, there's, there's things that you can do. You can get even books of promises. But the best thing is just to read through uh, the Bible and see what it is that God is offering and what God has for us. It doesn't mean that our, our life is always going to be picture perfect, because it's not. There's going to be mountains to climb. There's going to be valleys to go through. There's going to be crises that we need to face in our life. But the promise is this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? He is with us all the time through those difficult times. He is going to reveal himself to you if we seek and want to look towards him. And so are we doing that in our life? When we are praying his promises, and when we're praying his will, it really shows that we're aligned with his purpose in our life. So our dependence is always on God. So as I pray, my, pray has no, my prayer has no power outside of, of God, right? God is the one that fulfills. God is the one that accomplishes. You know, I'm, there are those out there that say, you know, well, you've got the power to pray and, and do this and do that. It is God that's got the power. We're just the conduit that he uses. We make our requests known, our petitions made known to God. We pray the way that we pray. It is God that does it. And so our dependence is always upon the Father. And we find that if we take his word seriously and, and get into his word, we see him at, at work. And so now it goes on about praying for a sinning brother. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life to those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. So if anyone sees his brother sinning, so all of us have circles of friends, circles in, in our family. It might even be our life that maybe somebody is interjecting into. It says if we see uh, a brother or sister sinning, what do we do first? We should pray for them. Right. What do we often do? 
right? We point the finger. We want to we wanna fix them. Uh, I'm a guy, so guys, I think, sometimes tend to want to be fixers. So we want to always fix something. Um, but it says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, he says he will ask. So that means he will pray for that person. And so as we pray for that person, that's the first thing we need to do. We need to lift that person up in prayer. And I would say it's, it's a continual thing. We don't just pray once and then go to the finger wagging. We don't pray once and then go to the, the blame or fault finding. We continually pray for that individual. Just, you know, prayer doesn't always change another person. Sometimes prayer changes me. So I may be praying for you because I think something that you need prayer, but sometimes the prayer is really changing me. So God's amazing with how we, when we pray different things. So we continue to pray for this brother. Why? Because we love them. We want them restored to God. He has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And so in our prayers, that's always the ultimate goal in our actions. Now we've, we've sort of lost that, I think, in evangelical Christianity today. We don't focus a whole lot on, on reconciliation and those uh, things that God has placed out there because we become sort of formalized in, in churches. But the Bible tells us we continually need to pray for these people. We continually need to seek reconciliation. We continually need to try to draw them back into the fold. And as we do this, we see God's hand at work. And again, maybe it's in my life, maybe it's in somebody else's life. And I can say as, as being in leadership in church, going on 30 years, that, that there's been times um, where I've prayed with a group of people and, and uh, maybe one of our members didn't quite agree with the direction we were going. And so as, as a group, we've decided, well, we're not going to do that then because God has brought us together as a group. And so it wasn't going to be four against one or three against two. We prayed until we had unity because God is not a God of confusion. And God is going to clarify those things out. And so we continue to pray. We continue for revelation. So in some of those circumstances, my heart was changed to, to look at things differently. In other situations, maybe the other person's heart was changed to look at something. But it has always worked. And when you come to that point where things are working like that, you know that you have found God's will. Because God's will is that. God's will is peace amongst the brethren. It's love amongst the brethren. So it says he will give them life. So God has promised, he said, through his word here, that the prayer made on behalf of a, a sinning brother will be heard. Okay? So John sort of talks about the sin that leads to death, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I think that there's something special about praying for brothers and sisters uh, that are stumbling or struggling. And listen, we've all been there. If you haven't, you will be there. We all sort of go through this thing in life where we just go through struggles in our life of facing these things. But I really believe that these prayers have, have sort of a special power towards God in that we're filling, fulfilling that command where it says to love the brother. And the best way that we can love somebody is to pray for them and to pray for them and lift them up before God continually. And that's an important thing. John emphasizes this quite a bit through his epistle and also in his gospel, the importance of prayer. So we really love each other best when we are able to pray for one another. And so we need to always keep that as a forefront. You know, there's a few things in life I always tell people, depending on what hat they're wearing that they need to do. But one is, you know, we, we need to love. We need to love as Jesus loved. 
And love doesn't mean that we don't address issues. We need to address issues. You know, uh, like I said, for the government, we pray for our leaders. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to those things. Those things need to be addressed. But prayer is the most important thing. Because, listen, I can't always change a heart. And if you change because of something I've said, it's got no value, really. But if you change because God has spoken it to you, that's got eternal value. So we pray that what? God would change the hearts. God, when I pray to him, even in my own life, you know, Lord, as the scriptures would say, Lord, if there's any vile thing in me, show me that. Show me that because I want to deal with that in my life. And so there's a sin leading to death. So the way that this is sort of formulated by John, and there's a couple thoughts on this and I'll share both of them. But John is writing in the context of a brother. So uh, because of the way he's writing, we probably figure that this is not a spiritual death, but that this would be a physical death. And we can go back to Corinthians, um, as was shared today for our Lord's table. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said that uh, amongst the Christians in Corinth, because of their disrespectful conduct at the Lord's Supper, it said that many were weak and sick amongst you, and many slept. And that meant many died. And so Paul even made a link to that because of the, the disrespect that was shown at the Lord's table. And it wasn't just that uh, the way that they took it, but it was really what the Lord's table represents. And I think Denny did a good example of showing that. You know, it's the, it's the, the life that was lived, that he came down from heaven to be amongst us and he shed his blood. He was without sin, became sin for us. And so there were those that were, were really living disrespectful um, their conduct was disrespectful to, to what that represented. And so um, some would say that the Lord maybe called them home early. The other one, though I think it's a little bit looser term of the, the uh, word brother, is that it's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The only thing that, that I would say with that is, you know, if somebody blasphemies the Holy Spirit, you probably wouldn't be calling them a brother or a sister uh, in the Lord. But those are the two thoughts that are there. But it does talk about this sin that leads to death. And it just really got me thinking as I was reading through this, is do we take our, our actions seriously? When, when, we, when we're living our life, do we think about what others, um, when they look at us, are they seeing Christ? You know, one example I used, and I don't think I've ever shared it here, but it was years ago, um, I followed NBA, Charles Barkley was a was a player for the Suns, and anyways, um, he he was he, he's competitive. He was a superstar. Um, somehow he got uh, sort of in, he went up for a layup or something. Ended up in the crowd, and somebody in the crowd said something or did something to him. And anyways, as he stood up, he spit at that person in the crowd. And the NBA got very upset with him, and they fined him, and they said. Being a superstar, you're a representation of the NBA. And he said, I didn't ask to be a representation of the NBA. I don't want to be the face of the NBA. And the NBA basically said, if you don't like it, get out of the NBA. So I've often thought about that as a Christian. Some people say, well, I don't want to be the, the poster child of, of a child of God. You know, because I, I sort of want to live my life over here and do my things over here and do this. But God hasn't said that. He says, you're an ambassador. So when we look at ambassadors that, that go overseas in our political realm, they're there to represent our country. They're there to give that impression of what our country stands for and believes in and what we're all about. Well, God has called us ambassadors 
of his son Jesus. And so as we're there, we are the face of God to a lot of people. Okay? We're probably the closest thing to Jesus a lot of people will ever see. And so he uses us in that way. And not to elevate ourselves, because again, we're going to reflect that light that the sun puts on us. But we should be called and we should be proud to be and strive to be like that poster child of, of the Christian. That when people look at us, they can see our love for God. They can see our love for one another. They can see the attributes of God in our life, the grace, the love, the mercy. You know, God's going to deal with, with judgment in his life. But as it talked about this, this um, sin unto death, um, it wasn't really a condemning judgment because as it goes on in 1 Corinthians, it says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. That means we're disciplined by the Lord. Okay, so when, when we're judged for things that we are doing wrong as believers, God's going to discipline us. He's going to correct us in those things that we may not be condemned with the world. So God does that out of the love. It's a corrective judgment. It's not a, 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 a final judgment, a condemning judgment. It's a corrective judgment. So when we look at our life, are we reflecting that to others around us? Do you got time for people? We live in a, in a hustle-bustle world today, but do you got time to really sit and listen to people, to talk to people, to get to know people? You know, it says that we need to pray for one another. We need to uphold one another. We need to encourage one another. Are you willing to do that in your life? Has God spoken to you about that in your life? You know, next week we're going to talk about knowing the true and rejecting the false. That's an important thing, too. As we go on our walk and our journey, again, the world sometimes says, you know, everything's acceptable, everything's okay. That's your truth, this is my truth. Uh, but the Bible says what? There's one truth. So we pray, we get in God's word, we have fellowship with one another, and we grow together in his grace and mercies. Let's pray.